There's no problem too big or small, no issue too hot or cold, and no subject these gentlemen won't talk about. Let's head into the lab to see what they're working to figure out today. Let's get into it and get down to it. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grombacher. Joining me, as always, is Centauri Minor. Hello, folks. Helping us move from awareness to action this week is Mr. Ben Orbach. He is the CEO of The Ascendant Athlete, an organization dedicated to achieving social justice at the community and national levels. Welcome, Ben. Thank you. Appreciate you guys having me on. So... I'm excited to be focusing on a very, very important topic, and we're going to be talking about something near and dear to Centauri's heart, uh, professional athletics. Sports! (laughs) Ben, (laughs) did did, did you know that Centauri was a a sports connoisseur? That hadn't come up in previous conversations. Okay, fair enough. It's also not true. It's also also not true, so... (laughs) Well, anyway, uh, excited to talk about. You don't have to be an athlete. Uh, the role of sports in our culture, but we can get to that. No, no, there's, that, that's that's 100 percent correct. I, I, I'm always looking for ways to to needle Centauri, and uh, you know, I'm I'm always going to give it a shot. So, but before before we do that any further, Ben, uh, you've got a really interesting background. Um, you are a published author, and um, you've worked all over the world. So, just love to hear about your background and uh, your path to becoming the CEO of the Ascended Athlete. Sure. Um, so, I started my business almost two years ago, and before that, I spent um, about like fifteen, sixteen years working in international relations and with a specific expertise and uh, studying why do people join terrorist organizations um, and setting up and running different kinds of programs and partnerships that would, um, you know, lead people, we used to call it pathways of dignity, that you're you're not actually born a terrorist, but there are a number of different, uh, you know, factors in in one's life and one's environment that lead them to uh, making that choice uh, to join organizations. So, um, I spent uh, several years working at the U.S. State Department, designing these different kinds of programs and partnerships in the Middle East and North Africa. Uh, I spent a couple of years after that um, implementing programs um, in Palestinian villages and refugee camps, and uh, you know throughout the West Bank. And then I spent about seven years after that. I, I set up and ran my own. Um, social entrepreneurship initiative uh, called America's Unofficial Ambassadors, where the whole idea was to get every American uh, to go and volunteer in the Muslim world human development. So to address root causes of why people uh, join organizations, but also to build people-to-people partnerships and to get past um, our uh, sort of stereotypes of each other. That's a big factor of it, is like to demythologize the other. Uh, get to know the other. And um, so I, I was doing that um, uh, when uh, Donald Trump was elected uh, president in 2016. And I, I'd been pretty horrified by the campaign, uh, not so much from a partisan perspective, but rather from a process perspective. And having had all this experience working 
in authoritarian ruled countries, um, it, it was just really striking to me and scary to me in terms of things that were coming out uh, in the campaign and um, you know, sort of the uh, demonization that was occurring and the sort of the ones which I think we're now in the throes of tribal overtones of just not being able to have a conversation um, with someone who has different viewpoints than you. And then, you know, sort of this deep sense of marginalization in communities that, um, wh why should I vote? What does this process matter? That none of it is really going to have an effect on me one way or the other. And so then after um, Donald Trump won, uh, and, you know, and things have just gotten progressively worse on, on these fronts, uh, I just, uh, I kind of had a moment where I realized I, I, I wanted to be working on the issues that were important to me, you know, in this human rights, social justice lens uh, in the United States that I, I spent, you know, 15 plus years looking at this stuff overseas and really enjoying it and having success with it. But that it, it was just, uh, it was a bit of a wake up call in terms of, you know, what's going on in our own societies and that maybe I really wasn't in tune with. So I spent a little bit of time thinking about, you know, what's the best way that I can use my skill set and do something that's productive here and, and earn a living at the same time. And, um, you know, the more I thought about it, that, you know, we're joking a little bit about how Centauri isn't into sports, but, you know, sports is, is one of the last places in our culture today that uh, people who don't agree on anything still share space, you know, at a game or watching something on TV or an experience. And also uh, sports is an avenue by which you can reach into underserved marginalized communities. The, the, the same folks I was just talking about that don't really think that there's anything in it for them from a participation in civic processes perspective, but they will follow their favorite team or their favorite player. And um, there's a platform there that they listen to and that it's a way to engage. And so, um, you know, I, I, I had the idea and, at the time, uh, Colin Kaepernick was just beginning his protest, and so that was in the news, and I was reading about that. And uh, I started looking at uh, teams and players and their foundations and looking at what they were doing, how they were spending their money, what, what kind of programs they're running. I just realized that there's a business here, that there's, um, there's a lot of things that can be improved upon from an advocacy perspective and, and running campaigns that bring people in and have an impact. And there's a lot of, that I can apply from my perspective of implementing U.S. foreign assistance and, and running all these different programs overseas to design programs and to implement them and to, and to measure their impact and to really demonstrate you're doing something that, that's not being done in this space. So um, started up the business about two years ago, and um, you know that, that's that's kind of how I, I got to the doorstep of doing it. It's fascinating you investing so much time and so much energy. And the experiences that you had, I, I can't even imagine um, working to bridge this 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 gap, this divide between the Western world, for lack of a better term, and then the Muslim world, and helping to humanize and and help people recognize that these are human beings. They look at things a little bit different than we do, but if we can fundamentally get down to that level, then I think we'll be able to make greater connections. All the while what's going on in the United States and, 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 and you'd sort of turn around, you realize, Oh my gosh, uh, we, we, we need to do this same work here at home. So I imagine that was very surreal. Yeah. I, 
I have to tell you, I mean, so I spent a year after 9-11 traveling around, living in Jordan and Egypt and traveling around the Arab world and just talking to as many people as possible so I could, you know, just learn what people were thinking, what they thought about the 9-11 attacks, where, where they were coming from. Uh, and and I, I found, on one level, I found so much in common um, and just sort of understanding that, that human beings are the same everywhere uh, with, with different sorts of needs. Um, maybe on a, on a superficial level or, or, or special things that relate to their culture, but at, at the core, you know, we have so much in common with each other. And, and why is that? Why why do more people not know that and understand that? But at at, uh, at another level, in terms of what you're talking about with with the surrealism involved here, I never thought. I'm a master's degree in Middle East studies. Um, I, I've lived in authoritarian world countries. I've, I've traveled to you know, a lot of different ones. And um, I remember backpacking through Syria, um, actually on my own in 2002. And there's pictures of uh, the Assad family everywhere from buildings to traffic lights and the cult of personality. And and so just all this experience with authoritarian world regimes. And I never thought that all that information and, and everything that I learned was going to help me to have a better insight into my own society. Oh. It's very disappointing that that's the case right now. But um, yeah, it is surreal. Go ahead, bud. Then I was going to say, um, so we had a really great engagement with uh, a NATO general or former general uh, a couple of weeks ago in Arizona for Gen Next. And one of the things that he said was, for democracy to work, citizens must be interested and informed. So I'm curious about that notion and how you're working with athletes to kind of put their platforms out there. So for folks that probably... Um, probably have their own views and thoughts on a lot of different things. How are they leveraging their celebrity or just their resources around being more engaged in what's going on in the world around them? Yeah, I agree with that general. I think that's a really good quote. Um, so an interesting thing has happened because, I mean, there, there's always been athletes in sports, you know, going back to, you can divide us into messages that are sent through performance on the court or on the field to messages that are communicated outside of the playing line. And so they could go back to like Jesse Owens and, and the Olympics um, in, in, in Munich and, and, and winning gold medals in front of Hitler. You know, that certainly sends a message of, of racial uh, equality. But, you know, going back to like Juan Carlos and, and protests in 1960 and, 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 and raising their fists on the podium, um, so there's always been something there as far as the intersection of, of sports um, and human rights and social justice. But what's happened, you know, with the way our technology has changed and really everyone having their own outlet to communicate what they want. Yeah, I mean, it used to be that if you wanted to make a statement on something, then with a columnist for a local newspaper, and they would write a column and, you know, they report you accurately or not uh, about what your views are on, on something if, if they found it to be pertinent. But now, you know, th this opportunity is there for literally everyone to communicate whatever it is they want to say without a filter. And the, the, there's opportunity and, and, and challenges there. I mean, the opportunity lies with being able to uh, communicate something effectively to mobilize people to an organization, to an issue, to, to mobilize, and to really, you know, do it at its highest level while also still earning your, your paycheck. I mean, 
you, you do have the situation of Colin Kaepernick with Kaepernick being blackballed from the NFL uh, and him engaging in, in some very creative and, and discussion provoking protests. But I, I do think that there's things that he could have done that would have still gotten his point across effectively where he could still be playing in the NFL right now. It's not just a, uh, a movement and, and damn everything else, but like, how are you really effective in what you're doing and how is it that you position yourself so that, you know, you continue to, to earn an income and that you can even take your, your values and create, a positive brand out of your values that, that in the end, whether we're talking about network that you've created or experiences you've gathered, uh, uh, that, that that's a positive brand. So uh, it's just, it's very interesting how much it's changed because of um, the way our technology has changed and the opportunities that are out there. And in the same ways that you could maximize it, which you know I feel as if we're doing a good job with, with our clients in, in, in doing that, um, and being strategic and thoughtful and, and really adding substance to the conversation and, and linking with strong organizations, you can also really mess things up for yourself very quickly by, by saying things like, you know, why bother voting or, or just turning off uh, large portions of the population that, that could be your allies. Um, so it, it's kind of, in, in a way, it, 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 it's a new industry as far as uh, the opportunities that are out there. Yeah, I think that that's, I think that that's very, very, very interesting. It's really, I, you know, the Colin Kaepernick example is probably, it's such an important conversation, but also a very cautionary tale to your point. You know, you can, you can make statements, you have the platform, but at what cost, if you are not, if you're not careful, you will lose your job. And for so many of these athletes, it's so hard to get to that level and your window of being able to make money and to be successful is so limited and short. So how do you do it effectively? And then you have LeBron James, who's probably the best, if not the best ever at it, who's been relevant for 20 years in, in, in front of us and is such a articulate uh, spokesperson for, for causes and social things that he finds to be important. So, I mean, how, 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 how do you, start that conversation how do you coach people up it's very important to engage in things that you have an authentic commitment to and so the in terms of starting those conversations it's at some point very early on in the conversation we've got to triangulate and figure out what is it that's most important to you as the athlete like what is it that you really care about what what is it in the same way that you know your brand involves whatever merchandise or sneakers and, and you think they're cool and you like the way you look in those clothes, what are the issues that are crucial to you and that you know are just a poor, core part uh, of your identity and then, and then you build from there? Um, one of uh, the clients I'm working with is the largest organization in the country working to prevent gun violence. And we've worked with them to bring in athletes um, that will help them with um, the, the cultural change they're involved with in terms of uh, gun safety and de-escalation of violence and prevention of suicide and of domestic abuse, uh, but also with, with legislative uh, reform for, for common sense gun solutions like universal background checks and red flag laws. And 
the athletes that we've recruited for them to be spokespersons and advocates, they all care about this issue. They, they, a good number of them are, are survivors of gun violence, meaning that they've lost uh, a loved one or a friend um, as a result of gun violence. And this is just the core part of who they are. And so um, when we come to them and talk about working together and um, giving them you know, background briefings and putting them in engagements that, that they want to be doing in their hometown or in their team's community, it, it, it's not twisting arms. Like they, they, they want to make a difference. The issue is important to them. Um, and that, that's why it works that I, I don't think that you can just sort of, you know, pull in, you know, anyone from the arena and just say, you know, in this case, you know, gun violence is terrible. What makes you effective in being a part of a coalition or a spokesperson for a campaign or, um, you know, just a, a, a successful advocate and participant um, if you don't really care about it and you're not willing to, you know, learn about the issue and you're not willing to integrate it into the other things that you're doing. Yeah, that certainly makes sense that there needs to be alignment there. And I also have to imagine that there needs to be alignment or at least it'd be ideal if the organization, if it's if we're talking about the Dallas Cowboys, that that uh, Ezekiel Elliott, if he's excited about gun control or passionate about it, that the Cowboys are also aligned with that so that there's not friction. And in preparation for our conversation today, I was thinking about the, I guess it's sort of a, a, a new conversation about companies and corporate social responsibility and they, a company not only being responsible to the shareholders, but also stakeholders and the role that they're playing in society. Uh, so I would love to get your thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, I think that that's an incredibly apt comparison and I, I don't have these statistics at my fingertip, but there's a great study where, um, you're looking at corporations and, and their brand and the value that consumers place upon what those corporations are stand for as a brand, um, what they're doing in the community. Um, I wish I had the numbers in front of me. I, I don't. If 30 years ago, everyone who played for the Dallas Cowboys, using your examples, was a Dallas Cowboy. Like that was their brand. And now, going back to my comment before about how you know technology and social media have changed things, every one of these athletes at a professional level, and we'll soon see at a college level, you know, with the way things are changing with the NCAA, they are their own brand. And your, your average consumer out there, determination of what kind of jersey are they going to buy? Are they going to pay to go to the game, you know, and buy tickets to the game um, based upon the actions of that team or, you know, of those individual players like the, it, it's totally changing that um it used to be like you root for your hometown team and that's it i think this is also a product of like fantasy sports where everyone is picking up their own team um so you don't have the same sort of diehard allegiances as you might have had you know 20 or 30 years ago and so without question um these athletes are being judged based upon you know their actions and and, and their so-called you know, what, what their, what their brand perception is. And, and I'll, I'll also say that it can really work to an athlete's advantage as well. Um, not just on an individual level, but from a cause perspective. So 
let's say that you, you have an athlete, uh, we could continue using this gun violence example, that um, is really passionate. And, and I've seen this with some of the athletes that I'm working with, that, that is involved in the cause, that goes and meets with survivors, and is doing stuff on social media, and appearing at events. You have people that don't care anything about that athlete or about that sport, all of a sudden, you know, recognizing this professional athlete, perhaps going to a game, perhaps buying a jersey, but all of a sudden that person's getting more followers on social media, which, which he or she can monetize uh, in, in different ways. Or if they have a foundation or if they're affiliated with a not-for-profit organization, then all of a sudden they become an attractive uh, magnet to people who care about that issue and admire what they're doing from an impact perspective. They don't want to be around them. The person who's using his or her platform in order to accomplish social good. Um, and, and there's value to that there's real money value to that. Um, so it, it's sort of interesting in terms of how one can, you know, how you, you are your brand and what you stand for, you know, does matter. Ben, um, it's fascinating that you said that recently um, I did a presentation on engaging CEOs in the political and social dialogue. So just top line, a couple of stats that I just pulled up from my uh, Prezo was 93% um, of buyers agree that when CEOs speak out about social issues they agree with, they're more likely to buy from that company. 82% of employees believe that it's important for them to know their CEOs position on social issues. 86% believe that CEOs who defend people's rights are demonstrating great leadership. And 84% also believe that when a CEO speaks out against their positions, they are less likely to do business with that company. So really knowing that bold brands do indeed go far. And so the ones that are really killing it and really actually moving forward from both a social impact standpoint, but also just from pure consumer buy-in are the ones that are being vocal about things that people tend to align with. Yeah, I mean those are the numbers. Like I, I had something similar, but that that, that jives exactly with what uh, um, I was thinking. And and I, I guess a point to add in on that is that this is a place where the failure of our federal government really resonates, because there was a time period, I think, where major corporations just had to say, well, we're we're following all the laws, and you know we're, we're compliant. But that's not good enough anymore in a space where you, you don't have the federal government protecting environmental regulations. You don't have a federal government doing anything about gun safety. You, you have the federal government trying to take away people's health care. And so all of a sudden, the onus shifts to, well, wh what's, what's the company doing about its employees' health care? Or you know, how are they adhering to you know, um, you know, responsible sourcing in the supply chain? Um, or, you know, Wire is, you know, and, and Dips is a great example of this. Dips stops selling assault weapons. You know, why is Walmart selling assault weapons or Dips or like what, what, what kind of, there, there's an added pressure on all of us in the absence of not having a federal government that um, is working towards the public good for everyone. Somebody has to pick up the slack <laughs> and well, not necessarily, but uh so is there a concern from some of the athletes you talk to, some of the leagues that you talk to, some of these franchises, these billion-dollar businesses, that there's an idea that, that sports is meant to be fun 
it's 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 meant to be a a it, it's meant to be relief from problems of of everyday life. You do hear that, um, and I think that that point was more valid years ago. But the the counterpoint to that is that everybody has a freedom of speech. You can't say that um, you know athletes are not entitled to be able to express themselves and that they uh, just exist for the entertainment purposes uh, of the general public. And so you know what they say and do off the field, off the court, that's entirely their business. And, and um, that's going to be disappointing to, to some that they would like to project their own values onto um, player X or, or, or player Y, but that, that, that's not exactly fair in terms of um, making it to, the, 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 to, to, to enact that sort of projection uh, upon them. And then one could also take the argument that we are in such perilous times and there's such there's things that are happening in terms of you know separating children from families for example that um you to, to not say something about it um and to continue on as usual uh like that's kind of strange like that that's an element of complicitness if we just go on as if everything is okay and that's not really you know happening or uh you want to i mean talk about something that you know i guess um I don't think any of this stuff is political. I think it's all human rights, but some people come and say, don't, don't interject politics and, and the sports, which is, I think your, your, your question, you know, what about the opioid crisis in America today? How is it that we can stand by, um, you know, in, in the face of a disaster and, and not say something, and then you're going to, you're going to criticize someone for trying to take a leadership position about, you know, prevention or um, access. Fully uh, a, uh, a strain of thought, but um, it kind of seems un-American to me um, at its core in terms of uh, Muslim people's freedom of speech and 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 not uh, wanting people to be participants in, in, in a better civil society. Appreciate that. I think that any time we muzzle somebody's freedom of speech, that is quint- quintessentially un-American. So, amen to that, man. <laughs> So you've you, you've been at this for for several years, and one of the questions we like to ask are what are the what are some of the top things that you've learned over that time period? Uh, I guess like a, a couple of things. I, I would say, I mean, I, I've based my whole career on on partnerships and collaborations. So I wouldn't say that I learned it, you know, in the last couple of years, but you know, reinforced for me in a different sector that. You can only accomplish so much by yourself, um, whether you're talking about a number of good ideas or implementing those good ideas or, or bringing about change. And you know, same in this sector is that you have to have partnerships, you have to have collaboration. Um, no single athlete is going to make the difference on an issue. And so the, the best things you can do are, are put um, people into coalitions together that are like-minded and that are working together. And, and that's how you're going to get sustainable change. It, I, I would say um, that's that's one thing. Um, on a, a personal level, I'd, I'd say that having um, you got to have thick skin. <laughs> you have to like, for for any entrepreneur. I'm, I'm sure you've talked to uh, a lot of different entrepreneurs on on, on your podcast. That you have to approach like, every engagement with you know knowing first of all being able to identify 
this is the value that I'm bringing to this conversation, to this partnership, to whatever it is. So, so having that value proposition, knowing what your added value is, but also like, um, I can't tell you how many phone calls I have that go unanswered and emails that I have that go unanswered. And if I waited for people to, you know, eventually get back to me, or if I was shy about following up with them, uh, I would be doing something totally different right now. And so just sort of that thick skin and that relentlessness, 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 whatever that word is, um, to the doggedness to continue to um, just keep on trying at the same people or, or similar people because you have confidence in the product that you're offering and, and what you can do. And then when you finally get them and you have that interaction, not holding malice in your heart that, they, you know, hey, I got seven unanswered calls from you to you or, or, or five unanswered emails, but rather to just be ready to um, take the moment as it is and to have an open mind and to, you have that value to, to, to bring it into the equation. Appreciate that. <clears throat> those are, uh, those can be tough pills to swallow, but uh, yeah. Amen. I love it. <laughs> so, for people who, who are listening, they say, yes, I, 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 I would love to see more of our, of, of our sports and our entertainment leaders step up to the plate and be more outspoken about these social issues. Um, how, how, how would you counsel them? How, how, how can more people get involved with this? Um, well, I would say... Let me go back to the question you asked me about shouldn't sports be separate from, um, you know, human rights or social justice or, or politics or, or however one wants to frame it. And, and since I think the resounding answer to that is no. Um, if you look at the world of sports and if you look at professional athletes as untapped resources uh, from a leadership perspective or a mobilization perspective, then I encourage you to get into athletes' Twitter feeds and direct messages and ask them their opinions on different topics and, and increase the demand. You might not get answers, but increase the demand and change the conversation so that more athletes realize that they have a, a role to play. It doesn't need to be in front of all the headlights. It could be a, support, um, a supportive role to play but that fans care about these issues. They don't just care about their sneakers or their gear or their merchandise. And they want to see athletes play a role in, in helping us get to a better place as a society. So that's one specific thing that you could do. The, the, the macro thing that you can do is you have to vote. Um, you know, if, if you're looking for athletes to be a part of the solution, um, then you fundamentally believe that we need more participation in our politics and more participation in our politics means that you have to vote and you have to get other people to vote um, or we're really going to we're going to be stuck with what we have there's um a great quote that uh do you follow any of um matt lewis's stuff He's a political pundit, and one of the things that he said was, uh, you may not care about politics, but politics care about you. And I always think about that because you have so many people, and now there's a um, there's a great political article. I don't know if you saw it that just came out that was pretty much 
goes back to the idea that turnout is going to be the biggest thing in the next election. And so, so many people just don't exercise the right to vote, right? They're like, my vote doesn't matter. X, Y, Z, there's so many reasons, but I love your plea to just exercise your, your, uh, your American freedom to get out there and actually have a say in what happens in the world. Either way you vote, that's up to you, but actually know that you are part of the political process. Yeah. I love it. that. Um, yeah. Yeah. You think about all the people that didn't vote in 2016 because they said it was all going to be the same and, um, they don't vote again. They're, they're probably not going to have healthcare. So that's right. So Ben, give us the websites. How, how can people connect with you? Sure. Uh, so ascendantathlete.com, um, on Twitter handles ascend athlete. And, uh, my email is Benjamin O at ascendantathlete.com. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Ben. Is there anything else that, that you want to leave with us? No, thank you for the conversation guys. Uh, appreciate your interest. And, um, I guess sometimes it can feel as if, you know, why is this guy talking about politics? You know, just want to enjoy my day here, but I, I you know, from, from, from my perspective of, of the things I worked on for years in other countries to where we are right now. Um, uh, I hate to sound like, uh, you know, like, a like I'm uh, on the ledge here because I'm not on the ledge because I think good things are going to happen, but, but this is an inflection point for, for our country. And, and so I, I, I hope that the, that we're moving towards better things uh, through participation. Excellent. Well, thank you again, Ben. Thanks as always for listening. Go to ascendantathlete.com and I will list all of the ways to connect with Ben in the notes of the show. And as always, keep questioning because the struggle is real. Before I go, quick announcement. I've been asked by so many people over the past couple of years about how do I start a podcast that I've developed and released a course that will teach you exactly how to do that step by step from figuring out the kind of show that you want to have to understanding how all the technology works behind it, and then how to get great guests and uh, keep the thing moving and how to grow it. So if you're interested in that, check it out. You can go to georgegrombacher.com forward slash podcast course, and you'll find it there. You can just go to the website. I'll also list that in the notes of the show.